we all like to be first, whether it's first in line or the first to get our food at dinner time. There is a principle in the Bible called the principle of the first. When we give to God of our first, it causes us to live a life of faith and open up the door to living a blessed life. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we look at what a truly blessed life looks like in part three of our series, The Blessed Life. Talked about last week was a few things, okay? Uh, we talked about, uh, first of all, that this tithe, that the number 10 wasn't just some random number that God pulled out of heaven and said, you know what, I, we're gonna say give 10%. What we found when we looked through the Bible was that when God tests people, the number 10 has an incredible link to the tests that we go through. We looked at, first of all, the, the uh, Israelites, Israeli. I gotta say this word right. The Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt, they were, the Egyptians went through how many plagues? Ten. They went through ten plagues. God gave the ten commandments to the Israelites. And uh, so we saw this. This number ten kept appearing over and over again anytime that God gave a test to people. God tested his people. And so what we saw was that this tithing thing is actually a test. It's a test that God has put on us to see where our hearts are at as far as what we're going to worship. But it's not just a single one-part test, it's a two-part test, okay? Part one is for us, right? But part two is for God, because in, we read a text in Malachi where it says that God promises to bless those who give to him. And so, and so we see that God is honoring, wants to honor himself by making sure that he passes his part of the test as well in making sure that he blesses us because he wants to be pure in what he does. Then we explored the two areas of pushback on this that people have, and that one, they argue that this was part of the law, and so it doesn't apply to us, and that two, Jesus never said anything about it, so it's time has come to an end. Now, what we saw when we looked into this was that both of those pictures were incorrect. In reading the Old Testament, we saw that the tithe actually predated the law, and so it was around even before the law had come. And then we saw that Jesus talked about it in Matthew 23, 23, when the Pharisees come to him and they say, hey, you know, we, we give our tithe. And, and Jesus said to him, that's great. Don't stop doing that, but you got to do the weightier things as well, mercy and justice and those kind of things. And so we saw that Jesus did in fact speak about it, and he told them not to get rid of it. Instead, he was telling them, don't neglect justice, mercy, and sacrifice just because you tithe. And so let's move on to today's uh, message. And so the question I want to start off with today is, how many of you in this room like to be first? Anyone like to be first? Yeah, so I think most of us like to be first. I mean, but when you leave here, like we're ha when we have a family dinner, are you, like, you know I'm praying, and you know as soon as I say amen, people are out the door to get over to get some food, and so you're watching and you jump out the door to make sure you're first in line for the, fam the family dinner. I mean, is that you? Somebody say amen if that's you. All right, all right, Carol, yes. Um, or maybe, maybe it's like you're going to get your oil changed in your car, and so you find out what time they're going to open, and you get there 30 minutes early just so that you can be first in line to get your oil changed. All right, one of the worst things that McDonald's has ever done was that two-lane drive-through now. Because here's the deal. When I get into the two-lane drive-through, my thought is not, what do I want from McDonald's? My thought is, I want to beat the guy that got there ahead of me and went in the different lane. 
Okay, and so I'm always trying to figure it out. Can I beat this guy? Can I race this guy? Can I cut him off when we're coming away from the thing so that I'm first and he's not? Come on. I go inside of McDonald's most of the time because I know that I'm going to lose my salvation somewhere along the line racing somebody in the McDonald's drive-thru. But one of the greatest firsts in my life I don't know, maybe you guys wouldn't find it this great, but it, it happened in high school. It was one of my, it's one of the moments that I actually remember from high school and actually like, because I did not enjoy high school. I hated high school. But it was in my 10th grade year, and it was our winter PE class, and I, I had a fairly good-sized high school. It was about twice the size of Mulberry High School. There was about 18, 1,900 kids at this high school, and, uh, and so we played in the, in the wintertime, we played several different sports. We played basketball. Um, we played, uh, like, dodgeball and stuff like that. And then we played floor hockey. All right. So we had the draft for the floor hockey teams. There was about 100 kids. And we were all lined up on the stage. And there was about 10 captains down there. And they had the draft for the floor hockey team. And I was the number one overall pick of the 1984 sophomore floor hockey winter league. So you're going to want to store that away in your memory someplace because you'll be at a bar some night or a, not a, a sports bar, sports bar, let's put it that way. And they'll have a trivia night and that's going to be one of the questions out there, okay? And so remember that. I was the number one overall pick and I wasn't, I by far wasn't the best hockey player. There were other hockey players that were much better than me, uh, but for some reason, and it was probably because the guy who was captain was one of my good friends, and so he picked me first. But it doesn't matter. I was picked first. That's all that matters. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the principle of the first. And this is a really powerful thing. And when I started to study this, I was just blown away by what I saw here. And my prayer this morning really is that you guys will see what I saw in these texts and the power that comes through the principle of the first. And I didn't really realize this until I started looking at it. And, uh, and there's really a connection between the first and God and living the blessed life that we are looking for. What is the principle of the first? The principle of the first says that if God is first in our life, in every area, then everything else will come into order. Now, what this does not mean is that if you put God first, you will not have any problems. You will not have any complications. You will not have any issues in your life. The Bible is very clear that all of us are going to have problems, issues, complications, tragic events, hard times, rough times, and tough times in our life. But what this is saying is that if we are living our life with this principle of the first going on, where we are putting God first in everything, is that even in those situations where it seems like things are out of control, where it seems like life has gotten the best of us, that there's going to be divine order in that situation. And so that's what we are looking at today. And so to start our journey this morning, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in chapter 3, or 13, I'm sorry. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're unable to locate it, once again, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me. Uh, Moses wrote this book. He wrote it in the wilderness as the Israelites were journeying from Egypt to uh, the promised land, and uh, 
This section we are going to read is literally the first thing that God told the Israelites after they came out of slavery. Like literally the first thing when they left Egypt and got out into the wilderness, this is the first thing God said to them. This is what it says. We're going to be reading Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, and then 12 and 13. And I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. So if my wording is a little different than yours, that's why. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn, whatever is the first, to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then uh, verse uh, 12, it says, You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem it with a lamb, or if you have not redeemed it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. Okay, so you're listening to that going, what the heck, right? We got lambs, we got donkeys with their necks being broken. I mean, it's kind of violent. How does this really apply to us and me? And we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to start off with two phrases that appear in these sections of Scripture that we read. The first phrase is, the the phrase, is mine, and the second phrase is, shall be the Lord's. See, these two words, or these two phrases in the Hebrew, they're in what's called the imperative. And what that means is that they are basically a command. Okay, God is saying something, and he is making it very clear. He is saying, those are mine. Those belong to me. He's not leaving any options here. He's not leaving it saying, oh, maybe if you feel like it, you can do this. Or maybe if you get around to it, you can do this. Or, you know, if you've got nothing else to do with these animals and these firstborn, then you could maybe make them mine. God is saying, look... All of the firstborn are mine, they belong to me, they are not yours. This is the first thing that God says to them after they come out of slavery, to make sure that they take the first of everything and dedicate it to God. And that may seem kind of crazy and kind of wild because aren't there more important things to worry about at this point in time than trying to get the people to grasp Uh, you know, give me some, give me this, give me that, give me this other thing. But he's trying to get the people to understand the most important principle in his kingdom, and that's the principle of the first. And there's something fundamental that people back then, as well as us, are being shown here, and that God, in God telling us the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. And so let's dig a little bit deeper into this text. And so it tells us that the lamb had to be sacrificed, and the camel had to be redeemed. And so the questions, of course, that pop into my mind are, well, does this apply just to camels and lambs? Does this apply to all livestock? And what we find, if we were to read a little bit more, is this applies to all of their livestock. So how do you determine which one to redeem and which one to sacrifice? Well, here's the interesting thing about that. The lamb was what needed to be sacrificed, And according to uh, the Old Testament law, the lamb was what was called a clean animal. The camel had to be redeemed because it fell under the category of an unclean animal. And so, with the unclean animal, you either had to kill it or redeem it by sacrificing a clean animal for it. And some of you may see where this is going and A couple of questions that I have for you. The first question is this. Us in this room, are we born spiritually clean or unclean? 
We are spiritually unclean, right? Was Jesus born spiritually clean or unclean? He was born spiritually clean. Well, if you think about what this text in Exodus tells us, that it says that in order to redeem the unclean, the clean must be sacrificed. So Jesus was the unclean that was sacri- or the clean that was sacrificed for us, the unclean. But even more powerfully than that, not only was he the clean sacrifice for the unclean, he was the first of God's kids. And he was sacrificed for us as well. So that we, the unclean, could be redeemed. And that's really powerful right there, and it shows how important this principle of the first is. And so how this kind of rolls over into life, how this kind of looks in life, uh, um, I'm going to talk about Jericho, uh, where Israel started to conquer the promised land. And the events of Jericho are found in Joshua chapter 6, and I would encourage you to read it later. Um, But uh, what happened there is this. The Israelites, they enter into the promised land. And as they get into the promised land, their armies are marching through the countryside. And uh, and God says, the first city we're going to go to is Jericho. And so the armies get to the city of Jericho. And you may have heard this story. It's where the armies march around for seven days, one, one time a day for six days, they march around the wall, and then on the seventh day, they march around the wall seven times, they shout, the walls fall down, they conquer the city. Well, in conquering the city, God says to them, listen, when you conquer the city and you go in and you take, you're going to have, you're going to have livestock, you're going to have gold, you're going to have silver, you're going to have all of this stuff. What I want you to do is instead of holding that stuff for yourselves and dividing the plunder up, 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 up among the people, I want you to take it and bring it to the tabernacle. But this was the only time during the conquest of the promised land that the people were asked to take all of the stuff that they, that they won in the spoils of war and give it all to God. Do you know why that is? Because the principle of the first. It was the first city in which they conquered in the promised land. Okay, the city of Jericho, because it was ruled by people who were not God's children, meant they were unclean. And so in order to redeem the unclean land, a a sacrifice had to be made. And so the sacrifice was all of the first was brought to the temple of the Lord. This first portion is the redemptive portion. And so when you give the first to God, it is the portion that redeems the rest of it. So let's talk about our lives in particular. Let's talk about... uh, the three areas that we've talked about when it comes to giving, time. Is time clean or unclean? Time is clean, correct? It needs to be redeemed. As a matter of fact, the New Testament tells us that time needs to be redeemed. If you turn to the book of Ephesians and uh, you read chapter 5, verse 16, it tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil. That means we are to sacrifice our time to redeem the time. Does that make sense? All right, the second thing. Josh, could you grab me a bottle of water, please? Thanks. I've sucked (coughs) dust into my throat. All right, so the second thing is our talent. Is our talent clean or unclean? Talent is clean, right? Some of you are afraid to answer. Nobody, everybody's afraid to answer. Okay, so talent is clean, and that means we need to redeem our talent as well by sacrificing our talent to God. See, one of my biggest frustrations, thank you. Hold on a second, I'm sorry. 
One of my biggest frustrations in church ministry is that there are some with talents who will say, I am not going to sacrifice my talents. If you want my talents, church, you need to pay me for said talents. I've run into this quite a bit, and this doesn't, this doesn't happen here at FAM, but uh, at other churches, I've run into this quite a bit with people who play instruments. We literally had one guy at another church I was at tell us he was leaving the church because they weren't going to pay him as much anymore to play the piano on Sunday morning. That is not redeeming talents for the glory of God. God has called us to use our talents, to give our talents, to be generous with our talents, to give them away, to redeem them, to redeem the time, to redeem the place where we're at. And when we hold on to them and we say, I'm not going to do that, we are missing out on the principle of the first here. Then finally, money. Money is clean, right? And so money is also one of those things that needs to be sacrificed, and that is where tithing comes in. The first animal, the first fruits, the first of the grain, the first of our income. And this is how we live this principle out, by taking the areas that God has called us to give in and sacrificing for those things to redeem them for the glory of God. But it's more than just sacrificing, it's about sacrificing the very first. Have you ever been around somebody who likes to brag about their spiritual life? Oh man, dude, I gotta gotta get up at 4 a.m. every day, because I gotta have four hours of prayer before I go to work. And, uh, you know, know, have you had conversations with people like that? I'm sure we have all had conversations like that. And you know, I've had people say to me, well, what's the big deal about getting up early and spending time with God. Here's the deal with it. Now, that person that I just mentioned that likes to tell us how much time they spend in the presence of God, okay, that person's got other spiritual pride issues that need to be dealt with, okay? But, but he, here's the thing is that when we get up in the morning, even if it's 10 minutes earlier than we have to get up and we spend that time praying, we spend that time in God's word, what we are doing is we are taking the first of our day and we are redeeming it for the glory of God. See, does that make sense? It's not so much, and I know it's like I just, people struggle with getting up early even if it's 10 minutes early, I get that, but here's the deal. This is playing this principle out in real time, in real life, in all of our days. It's us going and saying, you know what, 10 minutes, I'm gonna redeem that first 10 minutes and give the first to God in my day. Or how about taking uh, Sunday? What's Sunday? It's the first day of the week, Right? And dedicating this hour and 20 minutes of it, not just to come here and sit, but to use the talents and abilities that God has given you for his glory and for his kingdom. God has given you things to serve him and make a difference in someone's life. And when you are willing to say, I will sacrifice this hour and 20 minutes on the first day of the week, that's redeeming the time and living this principle out as well. And then finally, with our finances, the principle of the first means that when we get our check, instead of paying all of our bills and then giving what we can of what is left over, we give to God first and then pay our bills with what is left over from that. But to live that out, it takes something in us to be able to do that, right? 
What does it take in us to be able to do that? Yes, it takes faith in us to be able to do and accomplish that, to live on the principle of the first. And it's really an incredible leap of faith. I mean, think about it. Going back to our text, think about it. If you've got, you've got this lamb right here, all right? This lamb is hanging out, or I don't know, I, I don't know sheep, whatever, some sort of animal that, that goes ba and can have babies, okay? We got him standing right here, and that's your only animal, okay? And that animal gives birth, How many of you are picking up this thing and going, can't wait to sacrifice this bad boy? None of us are, right? We're going, look, multiplication. I've got two now. And when you've got little and you take the one and sacrifice it, it's a big deal. It takes faith. You've got to be able to step out and say, you know what? God is going to do something here. God is going to honor this when I take this gift and sacrifice it for him. Because you don't know, like with the people back in that day, they didn't know if that was going to be the only animal born to them, that was going to be the only animal born to their flock. And, uh, and so it just makes it a real test of faith to be able to step out and say, God, you know what? I'm going to give you the first. Whether it's of my time, whether it's of my talents, or of my treasure, I'm going to give those to you. Because here's the deal. It's not, sac- it's not sacrificing that gives you the blessings from God, it's the faith that you exercise when you step out that brings the blessings from God. Faith is something that supercharges and empowers our relationship with Jesus like nothing else. And doing that, stepping out and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to give this Okay, I got $100, God. I've got to pay $200 worth of bills. I'm giving my 10%. I'm giving my $10. That's an incredible step of faith, but that faith enacts the blessing, and this is the story of Jesus. Because Jesus and God didn't sit up in heaven and say, well, let's, let's hang out here for a minute. Let's watch and see if people can get themselves cleaned up first. Let's, let's watch and see if some people come looking for you first. And then we'll sacrifice you if it seems like it's worth it, if it seems like we're going to get some return out of it. No, what Jesus did was he came to this earth. He lived and he died on a cross for us before he knew any single person would come and follow him. It says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sacrificed Jesus in faith with the hope that his sacrifice was going to lead to many people following him. And the faith that it takes to activate our sacrifice of our time, of our talents, and of our treasure enacts the blessing and brings the blessed life that we are looking for. All right. So the second thing that I see in these texts is that the first fruits must be offered. Exodus 23, 19 says this, and I'm just reading the first half of the verse, not the whole verse. It says, you shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. The wording here, once again, is strong. It says, you shall bring. But there's a reason for it. See, because God is making clear to the people that the first fruits is not theirs to do with what they want to do. It's not something that they have a choice with. 
And this text that we read here, along with the sacrifice of the firstborn, explains what happens in the events around Cain and Abel. Uh, Those of you that are familiar with the events of Cain and Abel back in Genesis chapter 4, it's a really interesting story. Cain and Abel, uh, two of the sons of Adam and Eve, and and, uh, they're off on their own. They've grown up in their mom's house, and and, uh, now they're off on their own. And Cain becomes a farmer, and Abel becomes a rancher. And uh, what happens is uh, it says that uh, Cain... Uh, during the, uh, throughout the course of time, brings some of the fruits to sacrifice from his crop to the Lord. And meanwhile, it says, Abel took of the first of the uh, livestock that were born to him and brought those to the Lord. And it says in the text that God actually looked on favor with Abel's sacrifice, but did not look on favor with Cain's sacrifice. <clears throat> Why would he do that? Why would God look on favor on one person's sacrifice, but not on someone else's sacrifice? Because isn't something better than nothing? Here's the deal. It's not that God wouldn't accept Cain's sacrifice. He couldn't accept it. Why couldn't he? Because of his character. Hold on. Oh, I apologize. I don't know why my throat is giving me so much trouble today. Because of the character of God, that's why he couldn't. There are things about God that prevent him from being able to accept certain things. And so there's a few things we need to know about God. The first is that he can't act outside of himself. See, God has set limits on his behavior. And he can and can't do certain things, okay? And so, you know, I've heard, have you guys maybe have gotten the dumb questions like, can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? Like this is some deep theological thing that proves God doesn't exist. No, God can't do that because that's outside of God's character. Why would he do that? He doesn't just do things just to do things. He'd have to have a point in making a rock that big, okay? And so that's, or can he make a square, a circle? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, people, seriously. God can't do that. He called it a circle. It's a circle. He's not going to say, well, this is a circle and make it a square. He's not going to do that. That's outside of his character. He can't act outside of himself. He sets limits. He can't break. There are things he cannot do. And one of the things that God can't do is change. Why? Because if he could change, that means he could get better. But God is already perfect. So that means he doesn't change. Theologians have a fancy word for this. It's called the immutability of God. The second thing that God can't do is he can't think the way we think. Why? Because God knows everything. Why do we think? We think to figure things out, right? There has never been a point in time where God has been sitting up in heaven and said to himself, oh, myself. You guys, okay, it kind of, it took a minute to get out there. Um, <laughs> That has never happened. God has never had some sort of revelatory thought. God already knows all. There's a verse in the Bible that backs that up. Isaiah 55 says, God, uh, it says there that uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, the reason that he says that is because he thinks on a different level or plane than we do. And then the last thing I'm going to mention here is that God can't be second. It's called the preeminence of God. He is first above all and over all. God does not change because he does not change. He cannot think like us and make exceptions to the rule that he is first. Even if he's not first in your life, that doesn't change the fact 
that God is still first. And God could not accept Cain's offering because God is always first, and Cain, in his offering, put himself first over God because he brought what he was able to give when he felt like giving it instead of bringing the first fruits, and so God could not accept that. But there's also a powerful reason why God says to give of the first, but especially of the first of our income, and we're going to close with this. We're going to head back to Exodus chapter 13 again. We're going to read verses 14 through 16, and this is what it says. It says, it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Speaking of the sacrifice, you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. Shall it, so it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, for with a powerful, powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So God says to the Israelites, there's going to come a day where your kids are not going to remember all of this crazy stuff that went on when you were coming out of Egypt. They're not going to remember the plagues. They're not going to remember Pharaoh chasing you across the land and being drowned in the Red Sea. They're not going to remember any of this stuff. And what are you going to do? God put this there so that the Israelites could stop and look back and say, listen, the reason that we make this offering, the reason that we make this sacrifice was because, son, there was a day when we weren't ranchers, when we weren't farmers, but we were slaves and in bondage. But God, with a mighty hand, came and delivered us from slavery, delivered us from bondage, and set us free in this land, and he is responsible for everything that we now have. Guess what? That's our story too. We were all slaves and in bondage. But God, by his mighty hand, reached down and redeemed each and every single one of us who call on the name of Jesus. See, what God is saying is that our opportunity to sacrifice and to give to him, to give generously to him in all areas of life serves as a testimony to our children. Because many of us in this room, our kids probably don't even know our story. They weren't alive when we were in bondage and in slavery. And so us taking our time and sacrificing the first to God like he has called us to, it gives us an opportunity to share with our kids who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then some of you are saying, well, my kids were there, so I don't need to do this. No, that's incorrect, because you want to know what? It's just as powerful for a family who watches a family member go from being held in bondage and slavery to being set free and being somebody who walks in generosity, in giving of their time, of their talents, and their treasure to see the kingdom of God advance. 
It opens up doors. And we, I have had so many, I, I've had conversations with several people who've watched their parents been redeemed and they've said to me, man, I remember when my mom was like this. I remember when my dad was like this. But now there are people who give. And because of that, I know that God is at work in their life. It's a witness. It's a testimony. It's a way to speak hope and life into our kids so that they know what Jesus has done for us. Because see, too often, we treat what we do for God as a burden. Oh, kids, we can't go to the beach this Sunday. I have to work in one of the ministries at the church. That's not going to lead your child to follow Christ. That's going to lead your child to say, well, church kind of lame then. God wants us to say, man, Jesus, I was a slave. I was held in bondage. But God came and rescued me. And because of that, I have the honor to go and serve his people and see other people get the same freedom that I got in Jesus. And so in the final thing that I just want to say this morning is some of you in here this morning, you might be saying, well, that's, that's not my story. I don't know anything about this delivery from bondage and slavery. Um, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He wants you to know that he wants to rescue you, but we have this issue that stands in the way. We have sin in our lives. He's loved us, but we are, he loves us, but we are separated from him because of our sinfulness, and that's what we are slaves to. See, the price of our sin is death. But as we said, Jesus came for us who were unclean, and became the sacrifice so that we could be redeemed. And he died in our place. Jesus' death on the cross opened up the door for forgiveness so that we could have forgiveness for our sins and a restored relationship with God. And all we have to do is ask for it. We just go to him and say, God, restore my relationship. God, I know that Jesus died for me, me the unclean, to make me clean. And he'll do it. And so this morning, in closing, I just want every eye closed, every head bowed. And if you're here this morning, and you're saying, man, I want that. I want to be rescued out of slavery and bondage and set free. God is here to do that. If you just slip up your hand really quickly, no one else is looking around. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.